Hey, y'all, quick reminder before we start this episode that the Student Section Podcast is now live on YouTube. That's right. You can catch every single episode of this podcast live on YouTube at Student Section Sports. Once again, that's at Student Section Sports. Or you can click the link in the bio of all of our social media platforms to get there. We just had an interview with Hofstra head coach Speedy Claxton. Go live on YouTube. You can watch it there or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. So remember, folks, Student Section Podcast. You can now find it on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Without further ado, all the ads aside, we have a jam-packed episode today. March Madness is in full swing, my favorite time of the year, and the first weekend has concluded, and we've got a ton to talk about. We are going to still do my weekly awards. We're going to do what I liked, what I didn't like from this week, so I don't want to waste too much of your time. We have an action-packed episode ahead. Let's get right into it. Enjoy, folks. Folks, how we feeling? Welcome in to another edition of the Student Section Podcast, where we talk all things college sports from an in-depth analytical standpoint. This is episode number 17. It is Friday, March 24th, 2023. We are recording this on a Thursday, though, so we won't have information on the Friday games. Remember, we drop new episodes every single Friday. You can find us on Instagram at Student Section Pod or you can look for us online at thestudentsection.net. That's where our blog is and links to all of our media platforms, but you can find a lot of great written content over there. Highly recommend going over there. Subscribe to the show, folks. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all your favorite uh, podcasting platforms. Just Google us. You will find us anywhere. Download the show, rate it, share it with your friends, all that stuff. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to my first episode of our March Madness recaps, and we are going to talk all things first weekend in this one and the ongoing second weekend games that are currently being played, the Sweet 16, over at Madison Square Garden and in Las Vegas. So the NCAA tournament is really this thing where it's among the most mesmerizing spectacles in all of sports, and, you know, there's so much to it, but I also feel like it's the fastest moving of them all. Actually, I don't feel like I know it's the fastest moving of them all. You know... We get four really electric days of basketball where you're just watching games nonstop. You're, you're switching between games, and that narrows down the field from 68 to 16 in the blink of an eye. And I, I, I like that, but I also don't. If I feel like sometimes it doesn't do a lot of these teams justice. But nonetheless, we're a little over a week from crowning a national champion in Houston. There's a lot to talk about because, like I said, over 40 friggin' teams get eliminated. There's a lot to discuss. So... Before the action kicks off at the Sweet 16 tonight, I wanted to talk about everything I saw that made the first weekend uh, so special. All right, so I think, you know, with it being a special episode and all, I still want to keep the structure very similar. So we're going to jump into our storylines, then we're going to do weekly awards, and then we're going to jump into my final takes on everything. So we're going to start off with my storylines and takeaways from the opening weekend, and this one isn't so much of a storyline, but it should be mentioned because every year I do this, 
I want to talk about the trends of the tournament. What are the numbers telling us about the tournament? So I'm going to do just that here. And the first thing I kind of wanted to talk about was how March Madness never fails to shock us when it comes to these numbers. So the first figure I wanted to point out revolves around the oh-so-popular 12 over 5 upset. And despite 12 seeds holding a historical 40% win rate against the 5 seeds, you know, the mid-major darlings such as Drake, Oral Roberts, VCU, Charleston just failed to make a splash this year on every level. The five seeds dominated. There were obviously some close games in there, but again, I wasn't very impressed with the performance of the 12 seeds, and I picked two of them to actually win. Um, I had I had a VCU in my bracket, and I had Drake in my bracket, So, and I was really thinking about Oral Roberts because I wasn't very sold on Duke. That got proven to be true, but moot point, we're talking about the 12 over 5 upsets just didn't happen this year. The higher-seeded counterparts easily dance into the round of 32. So elsewhere, my next figure, I want to talk about the defending national champions, Kansas. This is now the seventh straight year that the defending national champ has failed to escape the first weekend with Kansas going down to Arkansas in the round of 32. So folks, bear that in mind when making your brackets next year. Whoever wins it this time, very unlikely that they make it out of the opening weekend. I don't want to jinx it or anything, but that's just the way the numbers play out. Here's another uh, number that I wanted to talk about. So historically, 98% of all national champs have been top 25 in adjusted offensive efficiency and top 20 or 45 in adjusted defensive efficiency. And here are the seven teams right now that fit that mold this year. Alabama, Purdue, Houston, UCLA, Texas, Arizona, and UConn. And so two of those teams are already out. Five of them are left. So if you're looking at a national champ, Alabama, Houston, UCLA, Texas, UConn are, excuse me, I just kicked the mic over. Those are the five teams that I would be looking at because those are the five teams that fit that distinction. So again, just food for thought when you're putting your picks, bets, brackets together. It's always something I like to consider because, hey, the numbers don't lie. That's 98% of all national champs and every single one in the modern era. So next trend I want to talk about, it, uh, it all revolves around the 15 seeds. Uh, Princeton's stunning upset of Arizona marked the third straight year that a 15 seed is top the two seed, and that's despite them holding a 10 and 131 record dating back to the origins of the tournament and the expansion of the field. And I, I'm, we're going to talk about them later in my weekly awards. I think this Princeton team is perhaps more special than any of these 15 seeds. Yes, even St. Peter's that I've ever seen before. So we're going to move on from that now, and we're going to talk about the Big East because. It has been a banner week for the Big East, both on and off the court. We're going to talk about the coaching ranks. You know, former Providence head man Ed Cooley, he's going to make his long-awaited transition to Georgetown, much to everyone's surprise. We all saw this one coming. And then over in New York, Rick Pitino completes his decade-long redemption arc and becomes the next head coach at St. John's. We're going to talk about Pitino first because, again, people love to hate on Pitino and I get it. You know, it's an easy guy to meme, but when you look at Rick Pitino, his master plan from the beginning absolutely came to fruition 
you know, after he got let go by Louisville and everything that happened there happened. When you talk about what Rick Pitino did, gain notoriety at a lesser-known school, turn them around, restore them to prominence, and use that to springboard into a big-time job like that of St. John's, that is exactly what Rick Pitino just did. He now jumps into one of the most lucrative, prestigious positions in the entire sport, and things are looking great for him and St. John's as a whole. I mean, just some of the stuff he said in the first couple days in those press conferences would have me really inspired if I was a St. John's fan. Moving on elsewhere now, Ed Cooley to Georgetown, Patrick Ewing gets fired again. Nothing that we didn't expect. And then I think something we didn't expect, though, is Kim English moving from George Mason to Providence. By the way, I think that is a phenomenal hire. Kim English, such a slept-on coach. You really don't hear about him unless you're a diehard fan of the sport, so I was super happy to see him get that consideration and then get hired for a big-time job like Providence. But Ed Cooley at Georgetown, nobody really knows what this means off the bat, you know. He said he's going to come in. He's going to bring his guys with him, like much like Dion. He's going to bring his luggage. He's going to establish a culture. And I do think he, you know he's in one of the easier situations to build a contender out of. And that's you know people say I'm crazy for saying that because look at the past couple of years Georgetown has had. But I mean this is a recruiting landmark. This is a destination that kids are going to want to go to. Kids are going to buy into very very quick. And I don't think Cooley is going to have a hard time at all building Georgetown into a national power. So the Big East is in great hands in the coaching ranks, but elsewhere on the court. So their top dog falls. Oh, that's Marquette. Shocking upset at the hands of Michigan State, but the rest of the conference flourishes. UConn, Xavier Creighton, all powering through the opening weekend with ease, making the Big East the most well-represented conference in the Sweet 16. Big East fans, if we told you that at the beginning of the year, would you have expected it? I don't think so. People are clamoring now. People are thinking, oh, maybe we're finally going to get the old school Big East. It's going to be returned to the days of old, the glory, the glory days. And they might have a point, man. The Big East is playing some phenomenal basketball. I was at the Big East tournament at the Garden. Though That was great basketball. That UConn-Marquette game was pure basketball. That was That's the definition of March basketball for me. The championship game, not so much, but, you know, the Big East is in a really great spot right now, and I don't want to take away from that. Let's just say this is going to be a power conference in the sport for years to come. I don't know if it's going to be at the level it was back then. That's asking a lot, but great position for the Big East moving forward. Hey, guys, uh, next storyline, FDU, believe it. That's right, the Fairleigh Dickinson Knights knocking off Purdue. Second 16-1 upset in history, and I want to give you another number. I know you guys don't want to hear about numbers, but... 1 in 150. That is the record that 16 seeds had previously held against 1 seeds prior to Fairleigh Dickinson's seemingly lopsided bout with great mighty Purdue. Despite being given an astronomically small 0.006% chance to win, Tobin Anderson reiterates to his team, you've all heard the clip now, he says, hey guys, the more I watch Purdue, the more I think we can beat them. Ballsy thing to say, the internet makes a meme out of it. Everyone's saying this is going to be a next-level ass whooping, Tobin. You're asking for it. And what do they do? They come out and beat him. And, you know, as as outlandish as he sounded saying that, that we could beat Purdue, everything about this upset was just that, outlandish, every sense of the word. I mean, there's so many storylines that make this the greatest upset in college basketball history or NCAA tournament history. I don't even know where to start, but I'm going to start on the, on the point where 
FDU shouldn't have even been in this game. They lost their conference tournament over in the neck, the Northeast Conference, to Merrimack. But Merrimack was ineligible for the dance because of the transition rule. So FDU sneaks into a game they're not even supposed to be in, um, excuse me, wins their first four game, and then just beats Purdue, shocks the world. The other storyline everyone likes to talk about is that FDU, statistically speaking, is the 363rd tallest team in Division I. That makes them the shortest team in the country. Average height, 6'2", 6'3", right in between there. Purdue, tallest team in the country. They have the 7'4", giant, Zach Eady. Guess what? Doesn't matter. FDU goes in. David slays Goliath. This was literally David versus Goliath in every sense of the word. And they pulled it out. So, again, Purdue's average height, six foot seven. There's so many of these, like, storybook stats that you only see in movies that actually happened in this game. And that's what I think makes it so special. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, I kind of wanted to bring it up during our other storyline. Tobin Anderson springboards off of this, much like Rick Pitino did at Iona, into the job at Iona, replacing Rick Pitino. Just a fantastic job he's done. This is a guy who, guys, two years ago was in D1, struggling to get interest from any D1 schools. He was a D2 powerhouse coach, won 80% of his games, and now he's at one of the most well-respected mid-major programs in the country. Hats off to you, FDU. Fan favorite. I know everyone was um, a bit down after their loss, but those guys had nothing else to prove. So shout-out, FDU. Congratulations, gentlemen. Okay, last storyline here before we get into the weekly awards, and this one isn't even NCAA tournament related. It is NIT related, and I think you could see where I'm going with this one. North Carolina rejects the bid to the NIT after going 20 and 11, having arguably the worst. Actually, I can't even say arguably because now they're the first preseason number one to miss the tournament uh, since the field expanded back in 85. So. The worst season in history for a preseason number one team. North Carolina misses the dance, but then opts to skip out on the NIT. And we're going to go in on North Carolina. We're going to go in on them. You don't get to claim you're too good for something after going 20-11. and 11, Like I said, having the worst season as a preseason number one team has ever had. Getting bounced from the ACC tournament. You, you just don't get to sit there and claim that you are too good to participate in the NIT. And to me, this all boils down to like a sense of entitlement, you know? All the other Blue Blood teams, like I'm going to point out Michigan, you know, they accept the bid because you know what? Michigan has a young team that is trying to get better, trying to improve their guys. And to me, when when this is a UNC team... When I'm looking at them, that's what I look at. Young players, I picture myself as a young player on that roster. If my coach goes out and declines the bid to to, to let me play in this tournament, you know, you recruited me here to play basketball. You're in all likelihood paying me to come here to play basketball. And so for you to say, no, we're done playing basketball. We're too good for this. We're not playing in this. We're North Carolina. We don't, we don't accept this. Utter blasphemy. And I know it probably wasn't a Hubert Davis decision, but if it was, to me, if I'm a young player in that locker room and you just cost me a chance to showcase my skills on the national stage in the NIT, play on ESPN, play you know more games with a chance to really show people how good I am, to me that is complete and utter blasphemy, and I can't wrap my head around that. But 
I, I just will never understand it. UNC rejects the bid again. It goes back to a sense of entitlement for me, and it's like you don't get to sit up there on your high horse after missing the tournament and going 20 and 11 and then say we're too good for something. To me, that is completely unbelievable. Uh, I, but I, you know, I digress. Armando Baycott announced he's coming back for fifth year. Uh, maybe they go on a little revenge tour. I don't know. But to me, UNC is the joke of the college basketball world right now, and a lot of people aren't going to like hearing that. But to me, that's how I hear it. So let's move on to weekly awards now. Back to the March Madness talk. Let's jump into the to the weekly awards. Without further ado, weekly awards time, my favorite time of the week. Let's jump right into it with my team of the week, and that is going to be Dan Hurley's UConn Huskies. So take you back two weeks. This team loses a heartbreaker at the hands of Marquette in the Big East tournament. Everyone's questioning what they can do, how far they can go, and they enter the dance with a chip on their shoulder, a big one, and they just scorch through the opening weekend. I mean... They were always a popular pick among bracket makers nationwide, but they opened things up by throttling and extremely well-versed Iona team, 87-63. to Bye-bye. Then, uh, less than 48 hours later, they blow out another, another mid-major power in St. Mary's. They cruise to a 70-55 to victory, don't trail in the second half. Just an incredible, incredible two-game showing by UConn, and I think... In the span of two games, they matured from, you know, dark horse, slept on title pick to national contender. We can do this. We're among the top dogs. That's exactly what I saw out of UConn in those last two games. They really, when you compare them to the the rest of the Sweet 16 teams, they play the most consistent brand of basketball out of, I think, any of them, you know. You look up and down their lineup, they're extremely efficient. Sonogo, Klingon, Newton, uh, Hawkins, Jackson, up and down the lineup. Then they bring in Calcaterra, who can knock down shots. Caravan, who can knock down shots. They're so deep. Depth wins you games this time of year, and that's why I love UConn. So uh, moving on, I kind of want to work through the weekly awards quick here because we're up against a bit of a time constraint. You know, I like getting people out of here in 20, 25 minutes. So uh, player of the week, Drew Timmy. Gonzaga, yes, Timmy Time has taken over the NCAA tournament once again. Gonzaga's senior superstar has dominated the first weekend of the dance once again. Shocker, I know. Timmy averaged a cool 24 points, 7 boards, and 3 assists across a pair of demonstrative wins this uh, this weekend over TCU and Grand Canyon. Gonzaga looks like a... Again, I, I'm not going to say national title caliber team because that defense is really suspect. But offensively, they're, they're as efficient as ever. They lead the country in offensive efficiency. And I, I also wanted to point out um, a stat around Gonzaga. So only X amount of teams have ever won the national title, ranking first in offensive efficiency and outside the top 70 in defensive efficiency. And that was Villanova back in 2018. Only team to do it this Century, So keep that in mind. But, I mean, just offensively, they're an efficiency machine. Timmy shooting over 60% from the field on that opening weekend. Are you kidding me? And I'm going to love watching that duel down low with Jaime Jaquez Jr. That's going to be the highlight of the Sweet 16 collision. Gonzaga, UCLA, Las Vegas, I can't wait. You look at the last two matchups between those two teams. You've got Adam Morrison, Hart. 
Break City, Gus Johnson, and then in the next game, Jim Nance's call of uh, Jalen Suggs' buzzer beater. I can't wait. Uh, let's move on to my coach of the week. That's going to be Rick Barnes of Tennessee. And as compelling it was as it was to drop Mr. Consistency, a.k.a. Tom Izzo here, I'm going to give a, m- a mention before talking about Rick Barnes because, you know, that streak is just simply insane. 25 years. And then to make it back to the, the second weekend for the first time in five years, everyone thought Izzo and Michigan State falling off the map. Can they still compete? They prove to everyone they do. Upset Marquette. That's enough about them, though. Let's talk about my actual coach of the year, Rick Barnes, Tennessee. Just cannot go unnoticed. Many were reluctant to pick Tennessee to even escape the first round against Louisiana, and that was for good reason, you know. Uh, They limp into the dance, losing two of their final three. They can't fill the hole left by the injury to Zakai Ziegler, program legend, one of the best on-ball defenders in the country. So they survived that sloppy, turnover-filled game against Louisiana, and then everyone's thinking, all right, uh, party's over. I'm going to get throttled by Duke, a team that over 10% of people had uh, had picked to win the title in their brackets. And 65-52, shut them down. Defense wins championships. They drub Duke in really a dominant, demonstrative performance. They're moving on to the Sweet 16, and that's really why, again, I don't know if you attribute this to coaching or Rick Barnes or just the unpredictability of the NCAA tournament, but regardless, that wow factor will always reign supreme. That unpredictability factor, always going to be there, always going to reign supreme. So uh, let's move on to Marquise Noel, who's my performance of the week. Very hard to not make him player of the week, but Timmy's body of work was really, really hard to pass up. So I'm going to mention Noel here. This guy possesses this innate ability to make passing the ball look fun. A rarity among modern basketball players in this day and age. I mean, 23 assists in his first two NCAA tournament games, and now he's got 14 at halftime of the Michigan State game live right in front of me as I'm recording this podcast. Are you kidding me? Unreal. I've never seen a modern player do what he does with the basketball. I mean, he's, he's a wizard. So enough about him. Unreal is the only word I can use to describe it. Let's move on to my mid-major of the week. Drum roll, please. I know everyone's going to be so surprised. It's Princeton. You are officially this year's darling. You enter the tournament as an upstart Cinderella squad that's, you know, capable of making noise. Many people thought they were underseeded. But have since evolved into this like seasoned superpower that's honestly capable of going to the Final Four. As crazy as that sounds, you know, the maturity from the Arizona game to the Missouri game, I've watched both those games back a couple times. They look like a completely different team. Not that they look bad in the Arizona game, but it's like you're watching this Missouri game and you're like, oh my God, this is a contending team. I mean, I just love them because they, you know... They've mastered the forsaken art of boxing out that nobody does anymore. They out-rebound Missouri 44-30, to blow out the Tigers in the second round. I mean, this is a team, if any Cinderella is going to make noise. I know last year everyone said it's St. Peter's. This year I'm saying it's Princeton. Watch out for the Tigers, folks. That'll wrap it up for the weekly awards. And that'll wrap it up uh, for this episode of the Student Section Podcast, folks. Remember... Um, if you enjoyed, rate, review the show. Always appreciate it. Share it with your friends. You can find us online at Student Section Pod or online on Instagram, excuse me, at the studentsection.net. All those lovely places. Subscribe to the show, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all your favorite platforms. You can find us there. Of course, always remember 
to share the show with your friends. Visit us on all those platforms. Not going to waste any more of your time with those shameless self-promos, although do remember we drop new episodes every Fridays. But hey, folks, we get a lot of college basketball to watch this weekend. So whether you're on the couch or in the bleachers, always remember to enjoy the games. I'll be right there with you enjoying them myself. See you next week, folks. 